The year is 1982. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club that takes you through all of Marvel's history from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and alongside Dave, who has... Dave loves Zach Kills. There we go. I got it. <laughs> you sounded like uh, like Brick. Like I thought you were just going to say, Dave loves Lamp, and just like, you know, point to something in the room. <laughs> Dave loves Zach Kills. That that sounds right, actually. That's kind of our MO. Yeah, I don't mind yeah. it. That's right. We're talking Marvel original graphic novels, baby. The original graphic novels are debuting here in 1982. We're going to talk about Marvel OGNs number one, number four, and number five. Now, I have a complete like, list somewhere, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to pull that up while you say what you were about to say. Vamp. I'm going to vamp for a while. You, Yeah, you have a good article about this. You wrote, like, about a year ago where you read all of these, right, and rated them? Yeah, so at at one point, I got completely obsessed with uh, Marvel Original Graphic Novels. It was this project mm-hmm. that they launched starting in 82, but obviously really before then. You know, So really, it's an 80s initiative where they were publishing outside of their mainline Marvel um, you know, single issues, these sort of oversized, prestigious uh, format you know, issues. So the first one we're talking about is Death of Captain Marvel, which is written by Jim Starlin, drawn by Jim Starlin with, um, I think, colors by Steve Olaf, whose name comes up mm-hmm. a few times here in terms of, of colors and all that. But like, it's all... It's all an opportunity um, to kind of explore, I don't know, bigger, maybe a little bit more mature ideas here and there. Yeah. The, the crazy thing about the initial wave of graphic novels is all three of the ones we're going to talk about today are inside mm-hmm. of Marvel continuity as well. Yeah, so yeah. there's, I mean, they're, they're big deals, right? Yeah. They're not like fun little side stories, unlike a lot of the graphic novels. Right, so like New Mutants functions as the oversized special edition kickoff to to like a new series launching, whereas Death of Captain Marvel is like a coda, it's like an end to to the Captain Marvel saga that Jim Starlin began. And then God Loves Man Kills is like right smack in the middle, an update to uh, the world of X-Men and and mutants in the Marvel Universe. So these are all great. I Like I said, I got obsessed with the line. Like it definitely, you look at these three, it comes out of the gates pretty hot. There are going to be a handful of say, these we're are, going to touch. Are we reading, we're reading like three out of four of the essential ones, right? Because there's the Doctor Doom, Doctor Strange one we're going to read later in the 80s are there any other so ones that's that, i like... mean that's by 89 so there's the one thing to note with the graphic novels here is a bunch of these are like non-marvel um not even not even just like out of continuity they're literally like not even marvel characters right so like the third one is a jim oh, starlin series okay. called Dreadstar, which i love I really dig Dreadstar. I think you should check it out if you enjoy Jim Starlin comics the way that obviously you and I have um, throughout mm-hmm. the 70s. But Dreadstar is not a part of the Marvel Universe. So there's like oh, a whole host of stuff like that 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 comes in here. So it becomes like this weird um, this weird like hybrid of 
in continuity Marvel character work and like a an idea house kind, for properties like, that aren't uh, even there. Kind of like DC and Vertigo, right? You know, DC had like Swamp Thing and Constantine, which are like kind of have one foot both in their own graphic. They're you know they're kind of their own graphic novels. Eventually, also, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're also kind of DC, but then they also do Vertigo stuff that's entirely outside of DC continuity. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's a good comp. Um, Dazzler the movie, another Marvel original graphic. I want to read. I want to read that. I think we should. Uh, she Hulk do another. Gets reinvented via graphic novel. So is there's it, a whole bunch Dazzler of Dazzler the that movie are worth one of your about. least favorite comics of all time? What's that? Isn't Dazzler the movie, the graphic novel, one of your least favorite comics of all time? I had it ranked, I think, second worst yeah. of all time. It is stunning. Didn't Marvel <laughs> knocked it down? It's definitely yeah, Marvel is definitely I worse. Read it, yeah. Um I I think Wanted is worse still mm-hmm. than Dazzler the movie. Uh Dazzler the movie is is quite awful. Aggressive. It's written by James Shooter. <laughs> James Shooter as I call him, not not Big Jim. <laughs> Jimothy Shooter. Jimothy Shooter. Uh, but anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, yeah. The, the graphic novel era is going to be interesting. When I made the Marvelous list the first time, I will note as well, like a lot of these weren't in Marvel Unlimited. So that was part of my obsession was like anything that wasn't in MU felt, you know, the way that comics felt pre-digital in a sense where it's like you actually have to hunt the thing down and maybe yeah. even pay money. <laughs> did you get did you track down physical copies of these? Of a handful. So like one that I definitely did early was Emperor Doom, which I really love. That's a great one that I definitely want us to be checking out. I'm not sure if it's on Marvel Unlimited not uh no, yet we'll or check not. Right now. So I'll be keeping an eye out. But yeah, like there's it's interesting um again, the batting average I would say is not super high, but there are some big wins within this and obviously we're talking about three of them today that uh, whether or not we're going to come down on the side of this is excellent or this is great, all three are pretty clearly defined (laughs) as essential The two sides that you could take. uh, Is this excellent or is it not excellent, you mean? You said great. Is this excellent excellent or is is it great? great? (laughs) That's how you review comics, Dave, but I've got a third rating system and that's garbage. Yeah. And that's where most of these comics land yeah. is garbage. Zach's the I tough hate comic guy. books. The tough guy <laughs> ripping up his comics and spitting yeah. on them on the way out the door. Um, yeah, I guess uh, a little spoiler here. I love one. I like one. And I'm fine with another. I don't hate any of them, huh. definitely. Okay. Yeah, I probably, uh, yeah, yeah, we're probably generally in alignment. Um, so, yeah, I think the graphic novel format is fun. We'll talk about some of the changes uh, in, like, tone and content as we get into them but the number one thing for me it's that page quality baby Ooh, that's that page mm, that's 25 pound stock <laughs> it's really uh, now, fun having read reading this digitally, marvel comics i'm guessing you're you have yeah, no idea what no, these actually feel like marvel comics the untold story mentioned this like several times mm-hmm. that like one of the big selling points for marvel was like and it's printed on high quality paper well it, you know, you, know I, you say that jokingly but like that does make a difference. Like if you go oh, to a I comic mean, in shop 19, and you pick up something in that feels nice, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna. I, mean, plot- I was planning to go to my shop today. We're recording this on a new comic book day, Wednesday, and Superman yeah. smashes the clan number three comes out. That is a great feeling. Big kind of. It's not oversized is the wrong word, but just the way it's packaged is like there's a ton more pages of story to it, and it just feel oh, it feels like you're DC's getting a soft cover novel that. almost. DC's been doing that thing that's like. It's not quite a trade paperback, but it's not a floppy either. It's like they kind of give a stiff cover to like a Wonder Woman covers. Dead Earth. Yeah. Or that well, Wonder Woman Black Dead Earth thing. is also like a one and a half times too long for what a comic would typically be. 
You know, right. they're interesting it, things to own. Good? They don't fit in long like, boxes, though, <laughs> which is maddening, yeah, sure. potentially, if you're obsessed did, with Did you read Dead Earth? Because I keep, I, every time I go into my comic shop, I'm like, man, I love Wonder Woman, but that's also like $8. Uh, Zach, it's by Daniel huh. Warren Johnson. And let me tell you something. If you have not hopped aboard the Daniel Warren Johnson train yet, yeah, I don't know that you're name. missing out. You're missing out. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about first, Jim Starlin, Death of Captain Marvel, The Return, to the My Marvelous Year Club. And hey, if you like the My Marvelous Year show, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Take a moment, hop on over there, and give us a rating according to your enjoyment of the show. It helps us out a lot. Oh, you know, <laughs> today today I went over to iTunes to uh, to check out our reviews, see uh-huh. if we got any new ones. Yeah. And I accidentally ended up on the Canadian iTunes page. Uh, I don't think you accidentally and, did because the same thing happened to me when I linked to it earlier this week. I think that's a Google uh, thing. I think they're pulling yeah, the so, Canada result. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I ended up there, found a bunch of new reviews because we have like a whole separate set of reviews. They do, they do it by uh by country in Canada, which is pretty fun. Yeah, there's like oh the reviews uh, are are separated by region. I actually, because I signed up a while ago for some like review aggre- aggregator uh-huh. on uh, this email list that will like notify you when you get new reviews. And there were a couple times where we got a review from somebody and then it never showed up. And I figured it out that it was like European listeners. I so, didn't like, know that. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. Well, thanks to all of you who've been reviewing us and that we haven't yeah. been giving credit to because you I mean, are I don't, not I here in the states. To any with of us. them, but we do have a a phenomenal little global community of listeners which is which is super fun and exciting but anyway yeah if you can do that it's super helpful otherwise you can support the show go on over to patreon.com slash my marvel this year and thanks to everybody who's already on there supporting uh our our desire to take you all the way through all the way through to the end of the marvel universe which may or may never come to pass so you can be with us forever but okay enough about our lives together enough about me let's talk about let's talk about you, captain death. marvel of Captain yeah. Marvel. Graphic novel number one by Jim Starlin. Zach, what were you had, had you read this one before? I have. Yep. What'd you think? I, I really the liked it. The, uh, I really liked it the first time. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I remember thinking like, I don't remember this guy from before, but this is a pretty good story. Like the only time I really enjoyed a Captain Marvel story, because maybe I. Because you famously read, but forgot all of the Jim Starlin 70s. Or maybe somehow. I skimmed through it or something, because I, I have no idea. Like it, it just didn't register with me at all. But like to my memory, this was the first time I experienced Captain Marvel in any way that I liked, and I was like, "Oh, too bad he's, too bad he's dead," because uh, this is pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, I liked it. I comparing it now to what I have loved about Jim Starlin, it mm-hmm. falls a little flat, and I think that is largely the artwork, specifically the inking and the coloring. Yeah, it's it's a little scratchy. Doesn't it feel a little rough to you compared to like what he's done? It's in the not. Past? It does. It's weirdly, it's not as good, and it's weird because it the whole pop, point the of the graphic novel thing is like this: this really prestigious, high quality book. Um, and there's something about it, yeah, where it's like Starlin's kind of, art feels kind of muted. Actually, um, I think he's inking himself. Like, there's no reason it should be rushed. I mean, it's certainly possible. Yeah. I don't have inside well, knowledge I mean, yeah. Here, who knows what's happening? You're launching your graphic novel line. Like, why on earth would you rush the 64-page <laughs> project? Yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know if it's Steve Olaf coloring, and it's just it just feels different because all these because the books all do they have that kind of like they all kind of have a same tone to them yeah, it's, in terms it's a of the way they're structured. Muted, but I do agree. Like palette. Starlin in the Thanos work that we saw in the 70s. I mean, that stuff just has kinetic action to it that that helps i think part of the challenge there too is the death of captain marvel is it it, it's looking at captain marvel 
coming to Captain of Marvel. Captain Marvel yep. <laughs> coming to the realization that he has cancer. And he's looking back on his life and kind of coming to terms with the end of it. And what that means um, story-wise is a lot of this is like literal recap of all of the stuff that we just read in Captain Marvel comics. So yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you ju- if you read it along with us in the 70s, a lot of it's very, very familiar to the point of sort of tedium. I would say. Oh, see, I, it, it didn't work on that level for me. For me, it actually kind of felt like fond reminiscence, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's been long enough since we've read that that I genuinely, like, enjoyed dipping back into that, and it kind of almost, like, made the story more, um, like, emotional for me because it was like, oh, yeah, looking back over all my fun adventures with my good friend Captain Marvel, you know? Yeah, it does add to Sad the poignancy, to I think. And again, like, I think structurally... It makes a lot of sense to to do that in a book that is about Marvel, this Kree warrior, looking back on his life as mm-hmm. he approaches the end of it. Um, but I, I do think it's also an excuse for exposition recap mm-hmm. that Starlin sure. is very good at. And we've talked about him being very good. Yeah, at, we have. Yeah. But this yeah, yeah. is a lot of it. You know, it's 64 pages yep. long and it, that's a majority of this story. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It it didn't um, drag for me, but I I totally get what you're saying. I think it's funny just like how much it underlines how much Captain Marvel we skipped. Because at one point he's just like, and I think back to all the foes I've ever faced. And there's this big splash page with like a couple dozen villains on the page. And I'm just like, I know four of you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we just. There's a nihilist way up in the corner. And the thing is here for some reason. uh, And there's Thanos. And then. The rest are just a bunch of buffoons that I don't recognize. Right, right. And obviously we remember Thanos. There is a nice integration um, of Marvel living with and, and being on the um, planet with uh, Thanos' relatives. So Star Fox, Eros, his brother, and his father. Yeah, this, this kind of works as a good introduction to Eros for yeah. the My Marvelous Year Club. Because he's going to come in in a big way into Avengers in the, the next few years. Um and this is a, a nice introduction to him as, I, I don't know, maybe it doesn't fully flesh out the personality that he's going to have. Um, his name means love, and he is horny all the time. That's what you got to know about Eros. Yeah, that's not too far off. I mean, it it gives you the details here just of like, hey, Thanos has family, and they, it, yeah. they both um, understand him to be like this absolutely genocidal villain, but also... He's still family, and that's kind of weird, and that means something. He's like, so. the, like a prodigal son. You yeah. Know, they like bemoan the fact that he straight. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, but they're actually recovering his, his statue. Um, yeah, I love that. I love body. like just that it has been how many years now? I think five like, in publication six, time. Seven years? Five? Only five? Okay. I think it's 77, um, yeah. Maybe 78. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been you know years and years since that fight, and it's just been like, yeah, that's right. Thanos is like still a statue. That's uh, that just feels remarkable in an age where you know deaths, big deaths like that. I feel rarely last. Yeah, for five whole years. Yeah, but the point you know of this graphic novel is not you know a return of Thanos or big action. I mean, really, like there's really very limited action driving it. Once you get beyond that opening, there's like two action scenes in battle. One scene, yeah. There's the one where a bunch of you know like pirates, acolytes of Thanos show up to recover his body, mm-hmm. and it's when we first get sign that Captain Marvel is sick because he's like pretty winded after the fight. Um, and then later on his deathbed, he has this like, it, he does a good job of keeping it ambiguous to whether or not this is like some kind of, you know, Thanos's spirit in some, you know, purgatorial state 
uh, finding Captain Marvel and having one last battle with him over the heart of the universe, mm-hmm. which is a very Jim Starlin moment. This was like when I felt like, here's Jim Starlin giving me something new in the, the, the vein of Jim Starlin, you know? Yeah, he gets to go full cosmic, fi- like kind of yep. finally in the last 20 pages where it's, yeah, Marvel and Thanos. I mean, I it's definitely on that sort of like on the astral plane, on the plane of death territory Mm -hmm. i think it's not because thanos is encased in a statue and obviously has such strong ties to the embodiment of death in the marvel universe i don't think it's a stretch to say like it quote unquote really happened even if it's on another plane you know um and he kind of it is an interesting thing that we're gonna see actually more with thanos and like warlock moving forward but sort of the respect that thanos actually has for Marvel, you know, it's not something he holds towards many people, but here it's kind of yeah. like yeah, yeah. it's kind of like they've been through something together even though they've been well, on you know, opposing sides. You know what worked for me in that vein even more than that is that so, you know, they're talking about that like since he has Cree physiology, human like chemotherapy just won't work. There's no treatments for cancer that are going to work yeah. and there's this whole thing about how his, you know, his power bands on his wrists are like simultaneously keeping him alive but repelling any kind of cure yeah whatever Mm -hmm. um but since he's kree uh they talk about how like the kree government and kree society view him as a traitor and they won't help right like he can't get medical help as a kree because the kree government like looks so poorly on him but the scrolls show up to his deathbed like the grand commander of the scroll military and award him a medal basically saying like you are our greatest foe and you know, it has been an honor <laughs> yeah. fighting you. Yeah. That moment really worked for me. That moment like felt very like, you know, this that felt like a, a real honor for him. And that, that worked for me on some kind of, uh, you know, emotional level. Like, yeah, it, it felt like a, a gesture of respect that, that rang true to me. I really liked that part. For sure. And, and the graphic novel also does a nice job of bringing in like the entire Marvel universe. So all the yeah. heroes, yeah, yeah. the Earthbound heroes looking into like, you know, solving essentially cancer, looking into how do we prevent Captain Marvel from dying? And it does, it's it's clearly the question I think Jim Starlin is most interested in here, which is, and I think Rick Jones kind of becomes the the mouthpiece for the idea, but it's like, you're, you're great with a problem if you can punch it, but something like cancer, you've got all this brain power, you got to read Richards and Hank McCoy and T'Challa and Spider-Man and everyone, and it's like, you're not doing anything to solve this. I think it's a, a the type of, like, idea that superhero comics are going to embrace a little more thoroughly as mm-hmm. as they get a little more mature as they get a little more complex um but it's also one that's really hard to answer you know like why doesn't the justice yeah. league just create a utopia you know why doesn't right. why doesn't reed richards just solve everything you know if he's so darn smart and i think what starling kind of resigns to do here is to say there are some things that they can't solve at the end like cancer because it's a real disease and because it's a real killer it kind of adds to the poignancy this idea of like yeah even they don't know and and he positions cancer as it has different names in different cosmic you know areas i think yeah yeah but it's like it's this thing that you know scrolls die from it uh shiar die from it and nobody has the quote-unquote cure for it um Mm -hmm. so it's uh i i think it's effective at like well the answering that question go on no, I'm just, it, it poses the question of, well, everybody's so smart here. Why don't they just do it? And it basically says, like, no, in the Marvel Universe, like, we, that's a thing that won't get an answer. That doesn't get an easy solution. Yeah, I, I liked that framing because, like you said, you know, it's not a problem you can punch. I liked 
him framing that through Captain Marvel even more than like through the Avengers and, you know, a problem for them to solve, you know, like him talking about, I fought so many battles, but I can't fight my way out of this. Right. Like I, and him coming to terms in that regard, which I think is more relatable than like, you know, Mr. Fantastic, like I'm a super genius. Why haven't I cured this? Like, you know, just that, that probably is the most relatable and like, um, I don't know, like actually human experience, like level that this works on. Yeah. Of, you know, like disease being this something where it just makes you feel helpless. It doesn't matter how strong or capable or smart or all the ways you feel about yourself, the way you view them yourself, that, you know, disease doesn't care about any of that. And it's just this kind of uncaring force in the universe. Yeah. Um, I think it really works on that level. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I really like this. Like, I still enjoyed this. I saw a bunch of people in the Slack that kind of fell flat for. Um, but this this generally really worked for me. I, I think it's very well done. I, I do wonder if I didn't love Jim Starlin comics already, mm-hmm. if I would be as willing, willingly along for the ride necessarily. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I do question that. But like I am because I've been so won over by the Jim Starlin comics to this point in Marvel history. I'm like, yeah, he gets he gets the the rope. He gets the freedom to tell a story mm-hmm. like this, um, even though it's certainly I don't know what the right word is like it, it because of the topic. And because of the goals, which are depressing, ultimately, like there's no there's no sort of excitement or thrill to reading this book in the way that if you read, you know, you read his Thanos Captain Marvel War, like those have obviously the comic book thrills that when we sit down to read Marvel books, we're looking for a lot of times. So like this, that's not what the death of Captain Marvel is trying to do um, at all. And I, I do think, too, like the death of Captain Marvel is kind of obviously characters have died like we're at the dark phoenix saga gene gray dies there um but death of type stories have become like just way overdone to the point we're at in 2020 and right here mm-hmm. in 82 like it definitely is hitting at a point where stories aren't really called that very often um yeah i mean no. comics don't end with a hero dying of cancer like that's not that's just not a thing oh i mean happens. it has a real finality to it like yeah i'm not sure if he comes back I'm not sure if he gets resurrected. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of hope not. Like, this just feels like one of these things where it's just like like Gwen Stacy. Like, it feels like this should be the last word on this. Right. And you should just move on and let that, like, at best, you know, you could talk about this and use this, like, as a reflection. But it feels like a mistake to bring him back. Um, yeah. Which I, I generally don't know if it happens. Yeah, I mean, this isn't like... I don't want to confuse this for like it's not Tolstoy's, you know, the death of Ivan Illich, right? Like it didn't, it didn't feel like this incredibly uh, well thought out, well observed meditation on the human existence no. and you know the the fate that awaits everybody. Like, but for a comic book, I think it's great. Like, especially for a superhero comic book at this time, right? Like, comic books have become much more capable of speaking to stuff like this in recent years. Um, you know, moving from this time moving forward. But um, I think it's pretty successful. This is the beginning of what I want to talk about with these graphic novels, which is I think they might not be the most like deep nuanced, you know, like literary. uh, I don't know. I mean, superhero comics as a whole at this point in time and at many points in time, (laughs) including today, typically are not. Right, that, but, that, that is not the mediums. But I feel like these are um, finding more serious topics and like really well. Mo- this in God Kills, no, 
God Loves, Man Kills. Ooh, big twist. Um, big twist. I, th- <laughs> I think are really well modulated in that like sweet spot where it works like for the Marvel comic superhero dynamic to be covering stuff that's, you know, a little more serious mm-hmm. without being self-serious, you know, like without brushing into like edgy parody, you know, like no. sometimes we've read with the Mark Millar stuff, right, where it feels like trying to be serious means that I'm hyper violent. Trying to be serious means that like, yeah, the body counts high. That's what it means to be serious. Right. And I, I, I think these, are, the biggest thing I could say about these are they feel like they are respectful of your intelligence while also like maintaining that balance between like a superhero comic and an adult storytelling. Yeah, I think the balance is, is crucial there because it's not so yeah. far beyond what we have come to expect reading comics by these creators, you know, or with these characters. Yeah, I, like it yeah. doesn't feel like it's the death of Captain Marvel doesn't feel like it's this huge leap away from, you know, the Jim Starlin Captain not Marvel. Too talk. much, but but a bit. Like I mean, you know, you watch him in his deathbed, like he's in a bed dying and like you watch him on his deathbed helplessly dying of cancer. Like that that feels a little bit beyond what we've read. And then in God Love Man Kills, like that feels like it, you know, broaches these topics in a way that like are a little calmer it, it, it doesn't feel restrained by the um the format as well you mm-hmm. know it doesn't feel like we got 22 pages we have to keep it a thrill ride for all three issues right yeah like it's oh, basically I... three issues and it just feels like they can pace they can take their time they yes. can discuss these things at a length and at a you know with the the freedom to actually like get into it without you know, feeling like you're, uh, yeah, restrained by the format. Yeah, yeah, totally. I would agree there. So let's let's then talk about the second one we read. This is the the New Mutants graphic novel. And if you're following along and you haven't <laughs> I read already these in read the exact these, opposite order. <laughs> yeah. So we we lumped the graphic novels together um, because, frankly, I think it just makes more sense to talk about them that way. The actual reading list that I put together it does, I guess, sort of minorly continuity wise matter that Uncanny X Men. Some issues we're going to read, 160 to 164, mm-hmm. occur before the New Mutants. Now, the way this will pop up in the graphic novel is they will just reference the Uncanny X-Men appear to have died. Professor X thinks yes. they're dead. Um, this oh, happens no, no, a lot says, in X-Men history. It says in an editorial bubble, Professor X is just like, I miss the X-Men. And it says uh, the bubble like, the X-Men were recently captured or kidnapped by the Brood in Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, right. Yeah, which I didn't know. But or I knew because I had read this before, but I didn't remember that that was coming up. Mm-hmm. But like, that that's a spoiler in the the most minor. I mean, I don't know. Very I, very I don't minor. Think you can be, very very minor. I, I don't say. think you can be that sensitive to. I mean, in an era where the You'd title be wrong, of the book is but... the death of Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. like yeah. <laughs> so if you're if that matters to you, obviously read it in the order that I listed originally. Otherwise, let's talk about New Mutants. Uh, yeah. So this one is. Really, definitely, it's the oddball um, compared to the previous yeah. two because the previous two are really telling, like you just said, like big, paced out, mature for, yeah, I think it's a fair word to use around them, um, stories, whereas the New Mutants is using that space, but it's using it actually to add to the Marvel Universe. It's using it to also add new self- characters. self-contained is the word I'd use too, right? Like, Yeah, God it doesn't fit. Kills. It doesn't fit in like, continuity because it's, well, I mean, it just does though. It's like... It's out of the pages of X-Men. It's a spinoff for this new mutants line that is about to grow, right? So it's the kickoff of introducing all these characters. And at the end of the day, there are some interesting moments in this book. But at the end of the day, it's really just about the characters that have been introduced. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
totally agree. Yeah, because it's like, what I love about this is that it introduces a bunch of characters that I had never heard of. Like, when uh-huh. I read this a year and a half ago, two years ago, whatever. No, like two, two and a half. Um, I didn't know who the new mutants were. Never heard of them. Yeah. Didn't know there was this whole other mutant team, right? And they were brand new to me. And, like, I was just like, wait, what? There's, like... A, a slightly younger version of the X-Men here. Like, it's just kind of like relaunching the original high school X-Men. Yeah. <clears throat> with this international team. It's great at that. I think it, like, really excels at that. It immediately just being like, here is five new teens, five new heroes. Their powers are interesting. Their personalities get fleshed out. All that works. The story around them is what's kind of like, meh, I don't know. It's uh, There's a guy who wants to kill some mutants. He's a he's cyborg. He's not just that a doesn't... guy. He's a cyborg guy. And he's a yeah, that doesn't Hellfire. come up, No, he's still a Hellfire <laughs> Club. It's Donald Pierce from the Hellfire Club. He's the bad guy here. You may or may not remember him as one of the, um, <laughs> right, not the king, like, but what is he? Hey, what's, uh, what's your deal? You, do you have mutant powers? No, I'm a cyborg. What? Yeah, don't don't worry about it. He's I'm a, a cyborg, cyborg who kind of hates mutants. Um, so he's he's the big bad here. But like you're saying, I the most interesting thing about New Mutants is I also went through what you're describing, which is like complete new mutants blindness i think um i think many x-men fans experience this where if it it's almost this thing that like if you're kind of just a passerby or you've watched the movies and in the animated series or something like you just have no awareness that during the 1980s when uncanny x-men was post dark phoenix saga there was also Mm -hmm. this interweaving interlocking series also written by chris claremont that is like absolutely essential to the mutant mythos um pretty pretty good <laughs> like these characters oh yeah are yeah good. like and like we're gonna keep like reading the series stack, there's some you could stack these characters up against the x-men and make a good case for like that they have as interesting personalities and powers as a lot of the x-men yeah and and a lot of them have as much like they've stood the test of time um yeah in many ways that you know they're relevant today so the, the graphic novel here is by chris claremont and bob mcleod um the new mutants that are introduced are wolfsbane this is rain sinclair uh her thing oh, is she's her. a very young that. I think Scottish. Um, I'm Irish. Say, is she Irish? I, I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up. Apologies anyway, for you, getting that wrong or mixed up. But she, uh, her thing, going. as her name suggests, is she turns into a werewolf. But like she's this very, when she begins, very young, sweet, innocent. Um, You're right, Scottish. girl who is hunted by sort of religious extremists and has has been sort of raised to abusively raised to believe that like mutant abilities and transformations are the devil's work. So she's got this real thing of like um, ingrained self-loathing with the fact that she she can turn into a wolf. Raised with like militant Catholicism, you know, like that kind of like. And violent, certainly, because when the comic opens, she literally has to be saved by Moira McTaggart, um, who, you know, rescues her. From Mm -hmm. a a mob, a la Nightcrawler in Giant Size X Men number one, which is definitely the comic this is this is most similar to. Uh, We also meet Roberto de Costa. He is well. No, can we can we? I I have some stuff to say about Wolfsbane. I I think that um that thing where she like like you said self loathing. I think that is a brilliant addition and and an angle to approach mutants from right because that is something that I think like a lot of people in minority positions struggle with right like people in the lgbt community people of color in you know who are like uh racial minorities right get like inundated with ways that their community or whatever is flawed and a lot of people like turn to self-loathing and i think that's like a really interesting 
and poignant direction to take this character, you know, to be like surrounded by people who are like accepting of that and kind of are teaching her how to accept herself. Like mm-hmm. it's a really smart angle to take that we haven't seen yet. Plus, like her powers are pretty fun. Also, she's got this really gross middle stage between wolf and human that she transforms into. She's like, she's either a human, a wolf, or this like middle ground that is like really upsetting. <laughs> I do not, I do not like. Um, but yeah, I like, I like her. She's, you know, she's just like, she's real cute. She's, uh, she's very skittish and yeah, yep. Um, big Wolfsbane fan. Well, and she's also like, she's, she's really young, and that's that is the thing that New Mutants begins doing well again is sort of the idea of the school at the heart of the yeah X-Men. they're all they're all like 14 you know, yeah and like, like we've that. really moved away from that ex- with the exception obviously of kitty pride but kitty in uncanny yeah. always feels like um she feels like an anomaly you know oh, like oh you you're mean... clearly too young for the adults you're running around with whereas new mutants right. now we actually add like 18 and and just like yeah this should be a school element which i, I actually think yeah. is important to have in x-men yeah um, okay, yeah, who, who are you going to get into next? So next up was Roberto. We meet him. Uh, so he's Sunspot. We meet him playing soccer in Brazil. We find out his dad is super rich. He has an incident in a highly publicized soccer match that um, he basically, he's getting followed. The ref doesn't call it. He's getting uh, racist taunts, not mutant taunts, but racist taunts because mm-hmm. he is um, Brazilian. Brazilian, yeah, which and- also... Very smart, well-observed thing about, like, for Chris Claremont, you know, a British-American or an American Brit, right? Something like that. American He was born in Britain but raised in America. Um, I thought he was British, but you could... I think he he was raised in America, like, his whole life. So I don't don't think he has, like, a a childhood in Britain or anything. Anyway, um, you know, pretty well-observed that there are, like, there's a a racial split in Brazil uh, and this kind of, like... Uh, you know, racial dynamics there um, that are worth looking at. That's pretty interesting and just more nuanced than any view of South America we've had <laughs> so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I do think Claremont as a whole, he is clearly invested in a global product in a, gl- a global yeah. stor- storytelling, like giants, yep. giants has X-Men, which obviously he had a hand in, you know, traverses the globe to find X-Men. He's doing the exact same here thing here with new yeah. mutants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with you know diversifying the lineup essentially with getting new perspectives and people from different places and it's mm-hmm. it's quite effective and and again too I think it I think one of the most important things that it does is it takes people from very disparate locations and yes they're all mutants but it's like it's taking people from such different places and different personality types and still finding family within that is is kind yeah. of inevitably like uncanny X-Men and new mutants it's just like Wolverine and Storm don't necessarily make sense as best friends. Bobby and Sam, who we're going to get to, don't necessarily make friends make sense as best friends, and that's what they become, right? Like there's just yeah, this found right. family aspect that he's really good at building. So Bobby's power set, as developed here, um, I I always found this very confusing until I read a bunch of comics with Sunspot in him. But like he just his character design goes all black, like dark. Oh, I love that. It just it's like good you know design. flat black, and he's got white eyes, and he just gets like super strength essentially um so really yeah it's a really cool design that i mean i think without the design if he just was like i am now powered by the sun like kind of like polaris is that who i'm thinking no havoc no definitely not you know who havoc who basically is just has sun powers or something um it's a lot more boring but i think that visual design uh does a lot of the heavy lifting because he looks cool yeah uh cannonball i mentioned briefly sam guthrie he is uh from kentucky he's got a good old southern accent 
and uh, he works in the mines. He is a 16-year-old yep. working the mines because awesome. his dad recently passed. He is trying to help his mom support their family, and uh, he discovers his powers, which are blasting. And guess what? <sighs> Did you power- know? Do you know this yep. about him, Zach? He is nigh invulnerable when blasting, and he blasts yeah, out yeah, of the mine. Just, that his powers. Is, yeah, he's just a teenage boy who loves to blast, and he. Uh, you say that like it blasts. means something. That's not a saying. Oh, is it not? A, is that an oh, East yeah. Coast thing? You know, are you just walking no, around right. all the it, time? It's like, not something. You, sh- you Mom, just get out of here. I'm blasting. How, uh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, please. That's what God, you meant, that right? my new. That's my new ringtone. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, his powers are hilarious. I do love, like, you know, he comes from poor white Southern America. Yeah. Right? Like, he's someone who has to work in a dangerous job at a young age to support a family, right? Like, his... Mm-hmm. He can't go to college like they planned because he needs to go. Uh, he needs to work in the mines for his family. Great, like great angle. Um, you know what I always think of when I think of Cannonball's power set is Super Smash Bros. Kirby down B. Um, <laughs> with like, the, yeah, the side, but it turns into a with, break, like little yeah. flames coming out of his buns. You know? No, oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. That is dumb. It is clearly Pikachu's left or right B move. Well, I think that's also Pikachu. Hang on. What am I thinking? Me. of? I'm thinking of diagonal down, right? Because just straight down is a rock. And can yeah, straight Grothy down he turns turn into like into a weight, and slams down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not, Pikachu is not a bad he cannons, comp. He cannons left and right, and he's invulnerable. Who's well, your so. Who's your go to Super Smash Bros. player? Sheik. Sheik. Yeah, that is so. I like that, uh, that is a bold choice. I feel like that, Sheik's um, a challenging character. No, it's it's because uh, they're they're because I, I don't even use the B moves on it. It's now you're talking about. You must be talking GameCube here, right? That's the earliest um, Sheik appearance, I think. 64 was... GameCube and Wii. I played some of the Wii U one. Well, sure. Obviously, there have been newer versions, but... They, they haven't really changed much of the character. Anyway, let's 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 not... Wait, wait. Who's your character? So, 64 Pikachu I was best at, for well, sure. 64. Okay, but more recent? No, you go with your original go-to. I'm not going to be... I'm not going to oh, drop I, a King K rule on you. Come on. Come on. I mean, I don't remember when I played hipster? in 64. I was 12. I don't, I don't remember... Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I do like, so, I mean, his powers are really funny, which is just like his legs ignite <laughs> and he blasts off Yeah, and he's basically, he can go through a wall for those 10 seconds. The like, one downside that's... to Sam's powers here, uh, he's also just Nova. <laughs> we do also already have Nova who kind of does oh, the I, same I guess things. I don't know enough about Nova's powers to, to see the overlap. Yeah. A lot of blasting going on. Um, so another character yeah, yeah, boy, is just Danielle Moonstar. She is, yep. her grandfather is a Native American known as Black Eagle. And Danny Moonstar's yep. power set is definitely like, she's a character who is going to require some explanation as we progress. Yeah, sure. For the time being, yeah, it feels, it's a psionic yeah. ability to generate images seemingly exclusively of somebody's worst fears. Oh no. Do you know who we just did? It, it just overwhelmed in our My Marvelous Year Club. We did, uh, yes, in the My Marvelous Year Shared Universe, you did create Danny Moonstar. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> For one of our characters. No, it's a little different, I think, technically. Um, I mean, she, she not that like, creates a physical manifestation of your worst fears, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for yeah, you, cool. her, it would her. be, like, a, you know, she would create, like, a Sunday night where you forgot to ep- edit the podcast or something, right? Or, like, a Sunday night where um, your co-host messaged you as normal to tell you the episode was uploaded and uh, uh-huh. and you just slept through it because you were drunk uh-huh. at 4 p.m. on a Sunday. That's your that's your, your worst fear while, again. Wow. Yeah, we did talk on the, we did talk a little bit in the next on the live alone. show we did recently about Zach's, let's face it, <laughs> incessant drinking. 
and I called him ham-faced. So for a new poll, <laughs> would you, you want to? Ham- yeah, yeah. For a I new poll, would you want time. to address? Do you know the term ham-faced? Because I thought this was a thing that me and like two friends knew, <laughs> but apparently it's an urban yeah. dictionary. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the the uh, that beer. I drank a beer at like eleven thirty for that Q and A, just to like loosen it's me up. Thirty somewhere. It ruined my day. Oh my god. Like, <laughs> And I knew it would. I even said on the Twitch stream, I was just like, this beer is a bad idea. And it was like, uh-huh. we finished recording at like three. And then I was just useless the rest of the day. And I was just sleepy and miserable and like angry. <laughs> that is, Ugh, that is terrible. Awful. Yeah. It's awful. Terrible. Yeah. Also terrible. Danny Moonstar's grandfather. She is killed by agents of the Hellfire Club. One of the revelations kind of throughout this is Dan, um, not Daniel, <sighs> Donald Pierce is sort of watching all of these mutants develop. He's got plans. I mean, we don't even need to get the new into the story. Who cares? Like, and that, you know who cares? New mutants the... fans, you bum. Uh, so yeah, he uh, sends some mm-hmm. of his agents, and they kill Danny's grandfather, which is tragic, but of course sort of sets her free to move on her, her way. Her whole thing is that like she really despises the white man, right? Um, it does begin there because her it... grandfather discusses sending her to... Professor Xavier, I believe. And she's really upset because she's, you know, like, what can the white man teach me? Whatever. Um, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Felt kind of meh, her like reaction. I mean, she lives like, on a Native uh, American reservation. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess her, her anger. I mean, I'm not questioning like her anger. I just the the, the tone of it felt a little uh, a little heightened or something. Is there a tone of right, anger that is? I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Want I, don't know. I don't. I don't really have a complaint about know. that. It's fine. Um, um, but no, I, I wanted to point out that like her grandfather trying to reassure her that she should go to the Xavier school is just like Charles Xavier was your father's best friend. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that line. It, that was, caught does my that ever come too. up again? I don't. I'd have to look into that. I don't know what Professor he's talking X's about. Best friends with Danny Moonstar's father. I genuinely I'm going to write this down because I have no idea what that is about. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other final new mutant that we meet is uh, Zian Shan, who is Vietnamese, and she is already at the X Mansion. When we get there, her ability as Karma is that she can possess uh, really anyone, and she's going Good. to be a very complicated character throughout oh, New awesome. Mutants history. Yeah, she's um, a, but here she's, she's you know, like she kind of Myra shows up and she's like, "Oh, try it on me, like show it off," and it's it's simultaneously creepy. And very, very effective. <laughs> it's pretty fun. This team. I, I like that scene a lot. I like just like, I like them playing with their powers and like testing them out in kind of a, you know, it's like that Shazam scene in the movie where, mm-hmm. you know, he's filming him, like trying to figure out his powers. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Jen, is that her name? Uh, it's X-I-A-N. And I yeah. said it once uh, and I'm not going to try You did. Again. You said it really well. Thanks. I think you said it right. Thanks. I felt um, good about the way I said it the first time. I think so it's I Jen. don't want to do yeah. it again. Yeah, she's really interesting. They talk about how she's one of the boat people from Vietnam, you know, the like close to a million refugees who left Vietnam after the Vietnam War on boats and like dealt with so much. Uh, That's like a really interesting backstory or like, um, you know, just like adds this foundation to her character that kind of explains her personality a bit. Um, And they added um, one of our readers, one of our our patrons in the Slack mentioned that in Marvel team up number 100, I believe. Uh, her character mm-hmm. is actually introduced. So if you're curious to maybe explore a little bit more of of her backstory, I recommend checking out that issue, which I thought was a, yeah. a cool call out. And she's uh, she's a little older than everybody else. Like, I think she's like, oh, uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page. She is 19. Everybody else is like 13 to 16. So she's 
slightly older. Okay. Everybody else. There you go. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah. the rest of the issue plays out more or less as you'd expect. Um, is there yeah, anything that, that, major kinda, that is boring, yeah. super exciting or interesting? Oh, the the other yeah. I guess interesting piece of this is Professor X is having his classic death of the dream feelings um because <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah 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 very, he goes through this common. once every couple years um if not more it, you know he thinks the x-men are dead like we mentioned they're captured by mm-hmm. the brood at this point and as these new myra brings rain there because you know she needs somewhere to go and sean's already there and then there's kind of this hijinks lead to you know more new mutants showing up and he's kind of bringing them together but he's also like i don't want to I don't want to lead mutants again, you know, and Myra's kind of trying to sell him on it. Um, he gets captured here. Does he get captured here again? Right? No. That's in, that that's in God Loves, Man Kills? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm mixing. Oh, no, no, he does get, <laughs> no, you're right, he does get captured here because, because uh, they free him. Pierce, like, yeah, 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 exactly, yep. So both these graphic novels have Professor X gets captured and the team has to go save him. Plots. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm only now realizing, but they do cool. so and kind of as a result, he's like, you know, these new mutants need someone to guide them, and I'll make this this my purpose again. And uh, and now we have a whole new new mutants team who is going to educate but also battle train because that is the world that mutants live in. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, Like, it, it's cool also that they're going to get their own series with, like, its own art style. Bill Sienkiewicz is going to come on and do, like... Really cool Claremont stuff, but with this like completely separate art style, this this really wild art style we haven't seen anywhere else. That's a really satisfying combination of uh, of things. Yeah, I will like, say it takes it I'm, does I'm take to New Mutants a minute to really get rolling, which is sure. important yeah. because I got yeah, yeah. I got a little frustrated initially where it's like I can tell this is essential, and I'm I know like I need to read this if I'm going to do the whole '80s X Men binge. The first the Priest and Kevich era. Is not bad mm-hmm. by any measure, but it's definitely mm-hmm. finding its footing. And then by the time Sinkevich joins, I think on issue 18, if not slightly earlier, it's like Claremont and that artistic power. They find the magic. They find what new mutants can become. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Diehards only kind of need to read the first run up to that point. So, like, we're not we... going to read a ton of that until okay. 84, actually. Are we going to read that one about Rome? Yeah, that's in, this, that's in the early arcs. And that's where is they're going to meet Amara. Is that going to be in our... <laughs> I don't know here. if that's in our reading list. I read that it's, one. That's, in, that the, one the that's in those who want to do the full Claremont experience, which again, okay. if you want over to over one where they you can find a Claremont the, like, reading order ancient for, Rome, and I was like, X-Men this is and New Mutants. Useless, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this because I like these characters and I think it does a great job establishing the characters. The actual story and the framework is fine, passable, whatever. Yeah, yeah it's all fine. But definitely like a huge, important, and frankly great addition um, I am to the Marvel mythos. It also just reading this again made me so bummed out about like how milk that movie looks coming out next month or April. I <sighs> we, I we don't talked about it. I don't even have a trailer looks, about how it looks so much as just the strangeness of releasing it. <laughs> like, yeah, it just seems so destined Man, I, to fail in the in the sense of like just not being a part of anything, but also being explicitly not a part. <laughs> of yeah. the MCU. I just, you know? I really wanted the MCU, like D- Disney just to be like, we're going to quietly release it on Disney plus watch it there. You all get it. Like it's not part of the MCU. I, I'm just as insane as that is. I do. I would kind of love that. Yeah. I mean, Disney's doing that. They're releasing big movies just on Disney plus. They put out their lady in the tramp movie just on there. That's big not like... movies, baby. L and well, T. I, know, but, no, I mean, like... L and T was going to smash the box. I was, was getting like ready a fully for a fully CGI dogged 
Lady and the Tramp. It looked good. The dogs look good. I, I watched a couple of minutes of it. Dogs good always look, look good. Good looking dogs. Gosh. Dave. Um, no, I'm, you I, love I, I, dog don't, I mean, I don't even really What's care. What's your favorite dog movie? Airbud? <sighs> no. Beethoven? Favorite. Marley and Me? Favorite, favorite dog. All Dogs movie. Go to Heaven? Uh, turn, Turner and. Oh, yeah. All Dogs Go to Heaven is good. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Turner and Hooch. Good. It's pretty good. Turner and Hooch? Um, yeah, Turner and Hooch. All yeah. Dogs Go to Heaven's pretty wild for yeah. a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm no, my, my biggest worry about new mutants i i don't care if that movie's like it's not that i care that much if it's just a bad x-men movie like if this movie came out in the era of fox doing their x-men movie i'd be like all right whatever it's just yeah yeah bad totally X-Men movie. right it's that disney is putting it out now and i'm worried that it's going to be like the inhumans where it's just like yep this was our shot at uh introducing this property into the mcu it sucks and disney's just going to be like yeah everyone just forget about that and move on it's got you know, weird. Like, it's got weird Inhumans vibes. Um, but my I'm guess, not, uh, my guess will be, it's kind of a strange to. horror movie that it just kind of gets like middle of the road reception, and then Marvel can use the New Mutants later once they introduce the X Men, however the heck they want. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I'm, I'm not like rooting against it. I would be thrilled if it came out and got like good reviews. Sure. I'm just. Sure. I, I would even be into. It. It kind of seems weird to do it in this weird like horror movie asylum thing that they're doing like there's hints that they're going to do the bear arc uh in the trailers <laughs> as it's as it's known the bear yeah well i, I don't want to get too much into it i did i, I specifically was trying i think not if you to... call it the demon bear saga you're really not spoiling anything that's that's a good point you're right. <laughs> um yeah i it just like yeah it just looks kind of this looks kind of crummy and this has um, been although, Zach Reviews Antoni- movie trailers brought to you by yeah, antonio banderas my marvelous uh, year you know, Support us on My Marvelous Year so we don't have to Can you hear me? I'm trailers. telling you about Banderas. What are you telling me about? Because I bet it's not important. Antonio Banderas is probably... Oh, take back what I just said. You said Antonio Banderas. Please continue. Jesus Christ, I just said... Antonio Banderas is probably cast as Mr. Sinister. That's madness. In this movie? In New yeah. Mutants? Yeah. That's I think, absolute I think, like, insanity. Because it was initially like they were talking about John Hamm doing it, but Antonio Banderas is Ooh, now like, that's hinted to be a post- credits villain reveal for a movie that's never gonna happen exactly (laughs) so you're gonna get a good you know sweet 12 seconds of antonio banderas with a diamond on his forehead sweet can't wait that's not bad casting i could see him really hamming it up uh for that character john ham hamming it up though that that's weird casting shut up i would not have enjoyed that one bit all right the final graphic novel on our list is X-Men, God Loves, and Man Kills. This one is a special. It's technically Marvel graphic novel number five. It's written by Chris Claremont with art by Brent Anderson. And uh, many of you may recognize sort of the tone and ideas and content as the inspiration for X2, X-Men United. What will remain my favorite X-Men movie of all time until the day I die. Oh, really? I mean, I can't see the future, but it seems very well, likely. sure. Huh. I don't remember that movie. <laughs> I don't, I, I, if I look, if I think about X Men movies, I remember the first one because I watched it a bunch as a kid, mm-hmm. and I remember um, Days of Future Past because I really liked it when I saw it in theaters. Like, and Days of Future Past is oh, and Logan, I guess I like Logan. Um, but Days of Future Past is like my favorite X Men movie. It's like uh, I don't remember X Two. I think I've seen X Two and X Three or whatever. X-Men 3 you were probably well. too busy thinking about Shannon Elizabeth, as we discussed on our My Ultimate Year <sighs> podcast. Very that recently. is true. That is a very, that is, I mean, no, because th- that was the same era as X-Men 1. That was the same. That was the, yeah, that far apart. I bet it came out in like 2002 would be my guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember X2 at all. Um, oh, oh, wait, is that the one with Brian Cox? 
as Stryker? Oh, sure. yeah, okay. It it's is. all coming back to me, baby. Speaking of Stryker, he is the villain here, William Stryker, former general, I believe in the Marines, mm-hmm. uh, and he has become a uh, a preacher, but he is like mm-hmm. a televangelist. Like, he's got an enormous yeah. audience, um, yep. an evangelical Christian audience, and his message is essentially that mutant kind is uh, the work of Satan, is the work of the devil. So public-facing, he's very, very popular. And it's a you know it, an increasingly hateful message that he is spreading, which says, you know, mutants are a threat to all of us. They are not a part of, you know, his God's vision for the world, essentially. Now, behind the scenes, he's got a group called the Purifiers, who are a terrifying religious, cultist, extremist group that literally hunt and kill mutants. The book opens with a harrowing scene. One of the one of the more memorable in how strikingly scary it is scenes, mm-hmm. I think, in X-Men comics, Marvel sure. comics period, is uh, two young kids. I don't, I don't know if they're even teens being chased I by purifiers. I think they say they're like seven and nine, something like that. Sure. I feel like they even say they're ages. And they're, and they're murdered in a park, and they're strung up and hung up from the swing set. It's It's gross. And terrifying, but it it can, very can quickly the... solidifies like the threat of Stryker and his purifiers. They are yeah. the real deal, and they are horrifying. Can we get like political stuff out of the way, political social issues out of the way, so we can probably not? This, I they... mean, this is a pretty politically and socially um, focused. Well, at least let like, me get story. my critiques out of the way, so I can talk about uh, the the like what I like about this Your um, critiques. Okay, so that opening scene. I think it's clearly evoking lynchings. Yeah, right. Sure. It shows mm-hmm. these two, and they are black kids, right? And they are being hung up from a swing set. Um, I think it is clearly like leaning into that. We're going to talk about this a lot. I'm already kind of tired of having to like talk about this. I mean, it's just because like it's coming up that much, not because like it's not worth talking about. Um, but, and we're going to see this a lot. And I feel like I just need to like air all this out. And then we will like, <laughs> I will just reference this without having to get into it every time. They, they just really need to... It, it, I think Chris Claremont has really good intentions, right? Like, I think he's got the best of intentions here. He's clearly trying to, like, you know, racism, violence against minorities just because of, you know, is clearly this, like, abhorrent evil thing. Religion is used as this justification for it. Like, people will twist themselves into knots to, like, justify doing these horrendous things to innocent people mm-hmm. just because they're different. I think it is one thing to evoke the reality of the real life violence that like happened to people aka lynchings it's i think evoking that is okay the the it feels on a storytelling level lazy and to this clearly just like grab that imagery and use it that one-to-one right like you can't if it feels lazy for claremont to he does this a couple times here to just say mutant discrimination is similar and the same as black discrimination, right? Like mm-hmm. there's this whole thing here where they Kitty Pride, you know, like uh, her dance teacher def- kind of like breaks up a fight between her and this guy who was like defending the purifiers. And she gets mad and says like, would you feel the same way if he had said I was an N love N word lover? And, and right, she drops the full word oh yeah and it's no, in I mean, print and everything myself. it is this is without question the, first... the most striking thing kitty pride has ever said because it slaps you in the face with like holy Besides what the f- they she just said that and they printed it in a marvel comic what 
besides the fact that like one i feel like this is jarring for people who are not <laughs> jarring for people who that word is affected and they might not be expecting it in their marvel comics uh two we're just expecting it, it in is, that moment right period two i think it is insensitive to just like to pretend that your made up fantasy characters are facing the same discrimination that real people face i think like that kind of sucks. I think it like feels like a lazy way to give your thing power. And then also just on a storytelling level, it's just like when you write an analogy, you don't also just bring in the thing that you're making an analogy to and say like, literally, it's the same. Like, here's yeah. the thing. These are the same things. Like you, you evoke it, right? You make the analogy. You don't literally draw a line, a straight line one to the next to do that. I think there's a lot of issues with doing that. I think Claremont's like heart is in the right place. I don't want to like cast aspersions on him, right? Like personally. And for the time, this still like might be a bold statement <laughs> against this kind of discrimination. I, I don't think there's any might about it. I mean, it's, yeah. it, and I'll, I'll talk about this as we go. So I think I wasn't sure you were, where you were going with that. Um, that was interesting. And I think well said. I, I think one thing we've talked about is the, the danger of equivalence as direct or comparing yeah. real people's pain you know, to something that yeah, is yeah. at yeah, the yeah. end of the day fictional. Um, I do think there's a danger to that. And definitely in the Kitty saying that Stevie Hunter moment, I think I see it very, very clearly. I have also, to admit with... the intro, Ooh. I did oh, sorry, not, go ahead, go ahead. I would not have thought of that. And yeah, I did sure. not see that uh, at position as fair. an equivalence. Totally so my, my interpretation wasn't that. That said, for those who do see it as a, you know, oh, he's just, he's like being lazy, like you're saying, and taking real pain and real racism and just sort of grafting it on to the mutant metaphor. Um, I, I can see that, I guess now. I, I mean, that's not that, something that that, that one me. is that example. I don't think is is quite as blunt as some of the other ones. Right. Because like, I don't know, it's a swing set. It's not, it is not the most direct, you know, like pulling in the image, right? Like it's I, not, I mean, it's this, definitely not. This, this um, is, I, I, I hope this isn't like, uncomfortable. well, and I, I think that sure, one sure becomes, is, but like, I think that one becomes like super challenging because there's a lot of ways that these hate groups towards mutants could send their message. And almost all of them you could tie to some real world pain, to some real world I action, know, the, and, the, and to say it's always an equivalence. Of... Um, now, that said, you know, I don't know. I guess that one I would tend to disagree, but I'm not I'm not the aggrieved party, so I don't want to. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, but I just think like... It's not the most careful comparison. And also, like, to make it too... I think he probably made it two little black kids on purpose, right? Like, I think I think that was there to drive home kind of the comparison. That's... That um, I, also, yeah, can, can I just point out, like, Kitty Pride says the N-word a lot. <laughs> I found an article that, like, chronicled all the time she keeps saying in, in kind of the same situation where she just, you know, uh, talks about... Um, there's another Uncanny X-Men issue that we are not going to read where someone says muty and she's like... Oh yeah, would you like it if I called you N word? And it's like, God, they just like I I don't know why Chris Claremont uses Kitty Pride as the mouthpiece for this, but um, yeah, very frustrating. Anyway, like you you know what's been frustrating about this for me, and and this is it's frustrating, but it is also probably a good perspective for me to have doing the Marvel Club in general is that like. You know, I feel like it's irresponsible for us not to talk about this stuff, right? To just read this and, like, brush over it and, like, gush over how good this comic is. Because I, I think we're both probably in agreement this is, like, a very good, powerful comic for a lot of reasons. I think we'll it's excellent. That. I mean, I, I yeah. truly think it's excellent. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I do too, yeah. But I think it's, like, irresponsible for us just to, like, 
you know, defend it unequivocally because we like the comic, you know, in turn to blind eye to this kind of stuff. I think we're in agreement for that. Yeah. But like that kind of, you know, feeling of responsibility to talk about stuff has just really underlined for me how much this kind of stuff sucks for people who aren't, you know, like white straight men. <laughs> like, I swear, I mean, I, I know like this sounds silly, but it's just like we have people in the club who are reading along with us. And I just know this stuff like because they tell me this like greats on them. And it's just like, you know, j- just to be able to be part of this part of a very a mainstream part of culture like this and just always kind of having to be eating shit, <laughs> you know, a little bit, like always taking these little jabs yeah. and always dealing with this stuff. Like, cause for me, you know, like I can read this and it at worst leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but it doesn't like, you know, it doesn't make me feel afraid and it doesn't make me feel alienated from the world, like in a personal level. Right. Like it doesn't drive home things that like concern me about how people view me and like doing this club has been great in a lot of ways, but like one of those ways that it has been challenging is seeing you know how some of our female listeners and our listeners of color um read these things and like you know it's challenging marvel comics sucks in a lot of ways for a lot of groups of people um and uh yeah it's a bummer it can okay it can yeah. and I, I do think yeah. it's i mean well we, as, we will get as fans 30, which is all we are like it yeah. is an ongoing effort to learn those lessons to share them sure. and to to listen most importantly from people who see things in a totally different way because like yeah, you just said like true. i i can pretty easily read god loves man kills and obviously i'm struck by a racial slur being used but otherwise yeah. you know i'm i'm not seeing necessarily everything and i, I know people who like is. in the club who want to skip these issues because they're just like i don't want to deal with this you know like i'm black this is just like it's too you know i basically i want to protect myself from getting that angry about yeah. this yeah they're reading along with the club obviously they like it but they're just like frustrated that they have to deal with that so i think i think that's just like it's it's good to keep that consider that and you know we, we want to do what we can to to step outside of our uh perspectives a little bit um the there's one other thing i wanted to say about that and then we can move on um yeah no no it's gone okay so things that i think this comic does great number one magneto Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. the best he's ever been and this is like this is the magneto right like this yeah he's here he showed up i feel like yeah exactly uncanny x-men we had some of that like he he showed up and it was like okay all right this is this is some good good magneto stuff here this is where it's like okay this is his relationship with the x-men like they have a common enemy and they need to acknowledge that and they might have to work together, and maybe they have a lot more in common than they think, and that is fascinating. And I it love, is like... I love X Men Magneto Alliance stories. Oh, always, yes, always, me too. always works love extremely it, it. well. Whether yeah. it's the um, second X Men video game, the second X Men movie, always great. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I also love Magneto as um, seeking revenge for those who have aggrieved mutant kind. I think I he mean, works the right... really well in that role. There's the uh, first class X-Men movie where he's like Nazi hunter Magneto. I think here uh-huh. he's doing kind of the same thing, but for Stryker and the Purifiers, because he's the one who finds the two kids that we talked about being murdered in the right. beginning of this issue. I don't know why he was there in the park, but he finds them. And um, I think in this role, he works extremely, extremely well. And he's also he's yeah. also of, you know, this is where we start to get that mindset of, there are bigger things than getting into fights with the X-Men. There's a bigger mm-hmm. goal for mutants at play here. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll and they're not super villains. That's that is also the like the thing that I think this is does that it's groundbreaking. These are not supervillains. No one here is a supervillain. Mm-hmm. No one here has powers. They they kind of get at one of the purifiers. This woman might like she. I think she discovers she's a mutant later. It's, um, and it's, it's likely. Yeah, her nose starts bleeding when like they start attacking all the mutants. Yeah. Um, but we don't know what her powers are. Maybe it's that she's got like heightened reactions, something like that. Because yeah. at one point she like jumps out of a helicopter and like <laughs> does. She's pretty cool actually in that moment. Yeah. You're just like oh shit. Um, no, but Stryker and the but, purifiers, they are they are people. quote unquote just people, but they is, are hateful, very sadly like realistic portrayals of how sure. ideologies get twisted and used. You know, I do think, you know, you're talking about sort of the political societal critiques that you have of the story. I think one thing it does especially well and especially strongly, considering what it's sort of fighting against, is looking at how Specifically, Christianity can be manipulated in America for yeah. violent and hateful ends. And I think well, is... to be published in an 82 yeah. X-Men comic, which is extremely popular, that would have made a lot of people really angry. And they yeah. had to know that when they're doing it, right? Like Claremont, Brad Anderson, and company. Um, you know, that is a big, big vocal part of, you know, of America, right? So you, definitely, like, you're coming at that. I, I think we can almost look at that now. And it's not like it's the first story that ever did it or anything, but and almost just look at that and be like, yeah, that's of course you can do that. Oh, but it it, it underlines and you can, the but religious it's like it's foundation very, so direct. Well, I mean, because Stryker is constantly quoting scripture, yeah, like constantly. And you know, this is this is the that's the part that I think works where you are evoking real life, uh, you know, like th- this real life discrimination because clearly what he's going for here is the way that like you know Southern America Ku Klux Klan stuff like used christianity as their justification for hate crimes but it's right? not like but it's not they KKK would twist, is the thing like it's it's not exactly it's but a it, it's celebrated think, um politically connected man in a suit who is public facing again like i don't know it's it's that difference yes, no, between right, like not, yeah. sort of the the evil caricature which not to say is the kkk isn't real but it's like I don't like they're literally dressing up in costumes as opposed to just like a person in the world behaving this way yeah. and being yeah, yeah. accepted for it. And and not only accepted, but like strongly encouraged. You know, this is a, a guy who gets massive audiences and it's like, yeah, I know. I know preachers like this. I see them in the news. I know sure, politicians yeah. like this. I see them in the news. Right. Like that part of it, I think, is is pretty well done. Um and it, it works for mutants. He's doing work here where like the the discrimination you'd be talking about is, is a little broad. Like it, it could be applied to a couple different things because it could really strongly apply to gay people here, which is also something that like I know Claremont's concerned with at the time, which is like really interesting that this is on his mind, that you could really easily view this as an analogy for the way that, you know, evangelicals view LGBT people as like subhuman, mm-hmm. right? Like less than human. And they use... They twist the Bible in order to, you know, find some kind of justification for that. Um, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. The art really sings here. Um, like, it feels really grounded. That That's something I, mm-hmm. I was impressed with is like, I guess because they're fighting pretty normal people. But like, we're not, uh, he's not fighting sentinels. Like, Wolverine's claws have never felt more real. <laughs> but it's just because he's like hacking up cars. You know, like yeah. he's threatening everyday people with his claws. When does Wolverine kill a man, Dave? I'm excited for him to kill a man. Uh, you know, I was actually thinking 
in this comic. I'm kind of surprised he didn't. It's weirdly not it's violent. Weird. <laughs> in that right, regard. because it, and it's also like, I don't know, actually. Um, I don't I know. I kind of thought actually, like if like, there was going to be a show showcase that. for like, hey, you know, we can't really have one of our heroes just like disembowel someone. Well, in Uncanny X-Men 141 and no, no, that's Days of Future Past. In the, During the Dark Phoenix saga, in the Wolverine Strikes Back issue, he dices oh, up those yeah. Hellfire Club oh, agents, good, and they come back in reference. the New Mutants graphic yeah. novel. Yeah, and that was a make fun a point of back. saying, like, you know, he diced us to ribbons, now we're cyborg. So technically he didn't kill them, but he killed them, you know? That yeah, I like that callback a lot. I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah. Um yeah. and it's yeah. it's actually a nice moment, obviously not related to this, but of Danny Moonstar's power where the the vision that she displays of what those men fear is is Wolverine. Um but yeah, no, in here in in God Loves Man Kills, like I don't I don't really want to do a plot recap other than to build to the threat is Stryker and is his message and basically this this hunting and hate towards mutant kind. Magneto obviously teams with the X-Men. The big thing here is um, Professor X, Charles Xavier, he goes on national TV to debate Stryker. And yeah. I think even the X-Men come away thinking like, well, he made good points, but the he, he lost essentially in terms of like perception, in terms yep. of charisma even. Yeah. Um, he And Stryker, it's revealed like, yes, he's got this public facing preacher persona, but he also behind the scenes, he like knows Professor X is a mutant. He knows all about the X-Men, right? He's got all this inside intel and him and his team- Because he has are an building, inside man at the FBI, yeah. Yeah, and him and his team are building uh, a basically a weapon to bra- first brainwash and control Professor X and then to use his mental abilities to kill- all mutants, um, yep. or at least mutants in the vicinity, to so Just that good. they can, they can good, then good blame <laughs> an attack on mutant kind, right? And so he does this, yeah. and he is like extremely close to successful. If I had if I had a complaint about the uh, the plotting of this, they do a, they do two big like death fake outs here. Where it's just like those three members of the X Men are dead, and it's just like, are, are they? I don't really, I don't really think so. Yeah, but and I mean, later, but they you do know, that. you know that they're not. So why would that bother you? I mean, I don't. I only know that in a meta way because I just know that they're not well, going to kill them off. Pretty obvious at page thirty three of this graphic novel that it wasn't like structured for that to be the death of. Well, then why why would you do that then? Except for some fakey fake dramatic tension that like doesn't. No, work. Th- like there's an actual plot purpose to it where Wolverine then like they go and they. Like it shows that they cover up the incident. The the plot purpose yeah. is that they capture those mutants. Like they aren't, they you know they capture well, them and then they cover it up so it does. So then he wouldn't have happened to them. But he's pretending that like we don't know that for a little while. He doesn't like immediately. You know the the car doesn't crash and then we see the purifiers drag them in and replace their bodies. It, he also does it later with their Cyclops and Storm are killed by Professor X, quote unquote, but not really. Like, yeah. I'm not saying the plot reasons aren't. I just think like it's it's kind of uh, it, it's almost distracting at this point because I'm like, well, I know that's not real. Why are you trying to trick me? Like, yeah. <laughs> do you have this? Re- do you have this reaction to like every cliffhanger? I don't, this is just so inherent yeah, to comics. No, I mean, uh, yeah, sure, but I mean, I don't think that means it's like beyond criticism. Like, if I'm watching a TV show and I'm like, well, okay, that twist is obviously fake right like Mm -hmm. they're making i mean i get exhausted by that in comic books where it's just like you know the final page supposed death of this character and it's just like okay oh yeah yeah sure that's page one of the next one i I, yeah i guess i didn't think it was that heavy i got the same vibe from that yeah i mean it didn't like ruin this comic for me but but if i'm uh nitpicking a little bit um so the the best parts i think about this are it tackles it first off it's just those sort of like real world connections and threats that i do think yeah. work 
for the mutant metaphor. Like you said, you can extend it to a wide variety of real world analogs. Um, I yep. think the team allying with Magneto, you know, at the end of the day, they team up with Ooh. Magneto oh, and they are so able good. to find Stryker during his speech where he's unleashing professor, the professor X weapon because they do brainwash professor X into doing this thing for them. Um, there are some really good sort of these dreamlike brainwashing scenes where they're, you know, striker yeah, professor yeah. X and he's like, no, I don't want to hurt my children in the X-Men, but you know, he's brainwashing him to doing so. I think they're pretty effective. Um, and it like, they all catch up with them at this, you know, again, huge event. The, um, uh, what was I going to say? The Professor X is like everyone's kind of bleeding from the nose and ears because his mental powers are, you know, stunning and, and hurting them. And uh, the X-Men do stop him by faking out uh, Professor X. They Wolverine and Nightcrawler teleport behind him as if to dice him up. And Professor X lashes out at them. But then while they're doing that, Cyclops simultaneously fires an I-beam that bounces off like every surface in the facility, which is one <laughs> yeah. of my favorite Cyclops things that he is. Not only does he have so laser powered eyes, but he's the best pool player imaginable. Uh, like were, were he you can play the angles joke? of everything. Did I, did no, that's a literal that thing where he will blast um, like pool or unless that's just a joke we've made. I have in my head a scene where Cyclops is actually really good at pool. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's... Like he knows all the angles. I, I missed the context of this conversation, but today in the Slack, there was a long conversation about Cyclops riding a horse and how much people wanted to see that. I don't really know what that was about, but cool. Cool. cool yeah, story. Sure. <laughs> I, yeah. He does not ride a horse here. Um, yeah. But I he actually wrote, I was like, did I forget that he rides a horse here? Cause I, I feel like I, I just, I read this last night right before bed. Maybe I just, uh, forgot the scene where he rides a horse in this, no. <laughs> this graphic novel. No, no. Yeah. The, the thing about this is like it, this establishes, one of the, if not the most interesting angle to the X-Men for the next 40 years, right? Like we are reading issues of X-Men in 2020 mm -hmm. in the, the new era of X-Men by Jonathan Hickman that are directly related to this, this entire, uh, you know, angle and this, this aesthetic that he's got going on that are still fascinating and still like finding it, it is just such a deep well to pull from mm -hmm. and it is endlessly fascinating because it's like, it's an ideological battle, right? Like yeah. it's about ideas and it's not about like one strong guy that they need to keep punching. You know, it's really, really good. Um, I mean, I loved the scene when everything's said and done, they've won the fight. Everyone's back at the X mansion and just that like back and forth between Magneto and Xavier and everyone trying to like kind of pull everyone in their direction and Magneto and, finally leaving. And Professor this, X like, is so ready to join yeah, Magneto after this He's comment. like, maybe I'm wrong. You know, like, I might have been wrong about this all along. And, and that's Magneto actually a right. huge, that's actually a huge moment, right? Because it, uh, it's, it's not really just him good. being yeah. like, I'm done with, I'm done with this nonsense. You kids are on your own. It's him being like, Magneto was right. And obviously, like, when when the, the mutant narrative is that ideological battle between them, it's almost like, actually, here's the other ideology, and it's humans who hate you. And yep. why are yeah. you two fighting when that's, seems like such a more obvious bigger threat and one of the more i think um effective things about the comics ending is they're like okay striker his plan his like madman plan was revealed in front of all huge audience police tv everything he literally pushes the the one you know woman to her death um because you know it seems that she's a mutant on tv basically but it's like but his followers are maybe stronger than ever and it's like yeah, yeah. he's done but guess what his audience is as big as it's ever been, essentially. Uh, and, and 
Although he does get defeated by getting shot by a cop here. Yeah. Uh, right. Which is like that honestly, and not in some kind of like, you know, this is 2020 communist Zach, <laughs> you know, like who, you know, all hates cops or something saying this. This is, I think that is a bad story choice in the kind of story you're trying to tell that cops would not be on the side of the status quo and would be like siding with the minority here. Just if you were trying to tell a story historically, either about like, you know, my racial minorities or gay people, right? Like cops have never been on the side. Yeah, it's definitely a much bigger political it, that, argument, I yeah, think, to yeah. to look yeah, at the I, this role isn't of even me trying this. to There's a good critical essay to or, be written yeah. about this, I think. Yeah. Um, we're probably not going to do it in the span no, of no, a let few me, minutes uh, conversation. Sit, sit back and relax, Dave, because here I go for 20 minutes. Yeah, no, I'm good. Um, I, I do think... It's definitely it's definitely a choice today that a creator would make which with a lot more attention. We're definitely and a lot more care than yeah, than what is sure. put in in 82 where every because there's a fair amount of like police dialogue about like hey this crowd we're you know monitoring and like the things this guy are saying are like it's actually really scary and it's actually like pretty hateful and I don't know that there's a counterbalance of like a police officer who's like nah this is good like it's definitely just not it's not the point I guess that this yeah, story is working yeah, towards yeah, whereas yeah. today you yeah, have I, to look at so a more public I mean um, I think then you would have to look at it too and he didn't right like the idea that the police were on the the right side of history during the civil rights movement is I I don't pretty, think in 82 pretty that's absurd. I'm I don't know I'm speaking out of turn because I'm not, one I wasn't there <laughs> age-wise but also just like I mean being, being politically you can of, be more savvier it, you can be ahead of your time or whatnot but it I don't think is anywhere near the same sort of attention that it gets today um towards like the role of police and discrimination i don't think that conversation was as mainstream no you're correct yeah, yeah. um yeah. so um, it's, de- it's definitely I mean, uh, not something i, I think it is hard to deny the, the power of this comic and how influential and like just uh groundbreaking really like i mm-hmm. i don't think we have read anything that comes this close to like establishing as real of a threat that is not wearing a costume you know, that feels like this is just and completely unique that this kind of a threat is completely unique to the world of superhero comics, right? Like it just, it totally puts X-Men in their own category in a way that we've been dancing around, but this just finally like really draws that line. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge moment for for X-Men comics. Like it really, it really solidifies the feared and hated part of the, of the narrative in a a way that I think is um, it extends the metaphor uh, much, much more effectively and much more deliberately. And it's also mm-hmm. like, it's also just a really well-told story. You know, the character yeah. interactions are good. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone here is, you know, like this is kind of a vision of the character that we would think of today as being representative with the exception mm-hmm. of probably Kitty, a.k.a. Kate. But anyway, X-Men God Loves oh, Man Kills. a.k.a. Ariel. Not a.k.a. Ariel at this point. Um, Sprite Ariel. Yeah, yeah, not, so without, not without things that will... Maybe, uh, you know, drive some criticism, but at the end of the day, I do think it's a very, very excellent and in some ways, um, pretty, uh, pretty like arts outside Marvel's comfort zone, I guess, in terms of who the villains are here and, and the message that this comic is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels a lot less fence sitting (laughs) than a Mm -hmm. lot of what they've been doing. Yeah. Yeah, Right. No, like it, it, I guess that's another thing is like, it's making a point. Right, like, and even if it's yeah. getting some things wrong along the way, 
it's which clear, I think it's clearly making a point. There's no debate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it does. I think it gets some things wrong. But I also do think, like, it is refreshing to see them just say, like, yeah, religion uh, gets used for justifying evil, period. And I, like, and I think one of the big difference. It's unambiguous. not like Marvel hasn't done that before. Like, we looked at the Jim Starlin comics where he has the Universal Church of Truth, which is his, his huge metaphor. But that's not their number one comic, you know? That's, that's kind of the difference is, like, Jim Starlin. Well, it's also aliens in space. It's also not literally. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, television Christian. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, like, right. That, there are huge yeah. differences. And yes, you're right. The attention on this is much bigger as well. So, I think in that regard, it's it's quite effective and quite important. Um, so, I would, I would rank them. God Loves Man Kills is great. I think the death of Captain Marvel is good to fine. And I think New Mutants is just fine, but it launches something mm-hmm. that will become great. Yeah, I agree. I think I like the de- death of Captain Marvel a little more than you, but yes, I think we're we're in. Ag- I think I like the death of Captain Marvel a little bit more than most, uh, based on what I saw. Yeah, of people reading it. But all um, right, yeah, yeah, really interesting, really interesting batch of comics, and uh, also only reading three comics for this week. Ooh, ooh, baby. I mean, it's like nice. reading ten because they're all sixty plus page graphic novels. But uh, yeah, all right, but do we have a poll pretty, for nineteen eighty two? We. Don't have something specific. We haven't talked about this, but uh, do you want to just do Doctor Doom? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we got our. I feel like we got our answers. Um, yeah, which is and I was the right. conversation isn't really going to change until we read more Doom. That's, I think that's, that's a problem. That so is, I I don't know that there's true. much more to be said about it. Um, I can only say you're wrong so many in so many languages. I let's yeah, um yeah. let's maybe put a pin in that. Well, I don't know. We could probably come up with a poll. What do you want to do? Let's see. It's 1982. Okay. Let's see. Um, what haven't we talked about in a minute? <clears throat> do, do, do. This is you hearing us just being whip smart on the fly. Okay. Okay. What about if you put yourself in the position of just not knowing their futures, but mm-hmm. just looking at the initial team of the, like, was it all, not all new, all different, uh, giant size X-Men, the new, the new Chris Claremont. Uh, no, it wasn't even Chris Claremont. It was um, Dave Cockrum and uh, Len Len, Len Wee? Wee? No, yeah, yeah. Who came up with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you were looking at that original lineup, without knowing their future, and you were looking at the New Mutants lineup, who would you want to see more? What about that? <laughs> you know, I like the question, but the qualifiers are impossible because yeah, how, I guess you're right. And also, you, you can never. Look at yeah, Wolverine yeah, versus Sunspot objectively. Yeah, that's true. It's just oh oh. I wanted it. to I wanted to point out. Um, I think God loves man kills is the first time we saw the words healing factor <laughs> for Wolverine, mm, mm. where they like mention that specifically rather than just kind of this like yeah he's uh he's got a hearty disposition. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they said something about his healing factor. Um, here's one. Do you okay. wish? Eh, I don't love it. How about who's the best new mute? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's that. fine. I like I like all them. Oh, oh, we we did not mention in God Love Man Kills, Ileana Rasputin is here, which is I think that is the biggest like out of continuity thing for reading these out of order that we saw. Yeah, you're right. She, th- there's the, nothing really here the that sister you, you need to know of Colossus, and we're gonna yeah, you, see a whole you, bunch of her, so don't you worry. Exactly, you get all you need to know from this, and then later we'll get her introduction or whatever. Yeah, sure. I'll put uh, I'll put all five of the new new mutants here. All right. So go on over to patreon.com/mymarvelousyear where you can answer the poll and also potentially support the podcast. Thanks everybody. Ooh. Uh My Marvelous Year is brought to you by 
comicbookherald.com. It's a site with cool reading orders and guides. Go check it out if you are so inclined. Our music is brought to you by Disaster Piece. Our technology support is brought to you by Zach Dean, a.k.a. The Dean's List, Disaster a.k.a. Zach Dazzling Dean Martin, a.k.a. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Howard Dean. Keep going. <laughs> yep, keep keep going. Yep. Uh, and uh, what else do we want to plug? Is that it? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah, sure. If you uh, if you like to hear our Q and A's, we did that fun Q and A last week. Um, that's up on the Patreon for five dollar backers. My ultimate year is on there for five dollars. We're about to put out episode four. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the ultimates. Pretty fun, pretty fun episode, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next year. See you next time year. Oh Damn my it. gosh. Well, you can't just change it up this late in the game. It would be a mistake. Bye. Uh-huh.